In this episode, I give you five simple and effective tips to improve your tournament play. Welcome to Smart Poker Study. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi, and thank you so much for tuning in and tuning up the podcast. I appreciate that you spend a little bit of your study time with me and that uh, you subscribe to the show as well. Oh, of course, thank you for telling your friends. If you want to tell them about this episode, let's say the five tips I'm about to give you blow your mind and you're going to use them in tournaments and you think your uh, poker playing buddies can use the same help. Send them to the sh- send them to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash tournament tips. So let's get to it. The tournament tips, right? Now, I love playing tournaments, and I actually started my No Limit Hold'em journey with tournaments and sit and goes. Uh, My studies started with tournaments. Like the first book I bought was Harrington on Hold'em. It was basically on tournament play, right? The Harrington book. I've also uh, read Jonathan Little, Alex Fitzgerald, Sklansky, tons of tournament stuff. I've watched loads of training videos, read lots of articles online. I was actually a member of Tournament Poker Edge for a while a few years ago. I've also had some decent success in live and online tournaments. I won an $11 buy-in with around 500 people. I think the payout was about $11 buy-in. I think I made about $1,000, maybe almost $1,100 on that tournament. I've chopped a lot of uh, live tournaments, right? When you get down to the final three or five players at my local casino. Uh, So I know what I'm doing on the tournament felt, especially in regards to things like antes and bubble play and playing the player and making the money and dealing with short stacks, Um, approaching the final table and laddering up for payouts. I have that experience as well. And I've got some pretty big news for you. I'm going to hold my very first Smart Poker Study Tournament. It's going to be held on America's Card Room, on October 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a $50 guaranteed no-limit hold'em tournament. $1 buy-in, $1 re-entry, $1 rebuy, $1 add-on. Some of those details might change. Uh, I'm working with ACR on this kind of stuff, right? But you have to be an America's Card Room player in order to play with me. I'll be there at the tournament trying to take your chips. My screen name is Frisky Misky. Come hunt me out, of course. If you want some additional information or updates as the tournament gets closer, October 21st, once again, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash tournament. All the details will be there for you, and I hope to see you on the felt. Now, I'm really looking forward to this first tournament, and I want you to join me, and of course, I want you to do well. So the five tips today are going to help everyone But especially you cash game players, maybe with a little tournament experience, these five tips are really going to help you focus on the most important things as you're playing. And for everybody attending, or not attending, playing the tournament, right? Wouldn't it be awesome to say, I won Sky's first tournament. I knocked him out on the final table. I pushed him around with my big stack. He got busted in eighth place and I went on to win. That would be pretty cool if you could say that, right? But the only way you're going to be able to say that is if you play on America's Card Room and you sign up for the tournament. Once again, for more information, smartpokerstudy.com slash tournament. All right, let's get to the five tips. Gambate! This is damn exciting stuff. Tournament tip number one. Classify each player by player type. 
Poker's all about playing the player and exploiting what you know about them. And you can't just play your two whole cards and the board and expect to be successful in this game, right? You're playing against other players with their own logic, their own agenda, their own styles of play and everything. You can make specific choices to exploit their tendencies and their decisions. The thing that you need to do is classify each player, or I guess I kind of think of it as assigning each player one of four basic player types. They are loose aggressive, tight aggressive, loose passive fish, and super tight knits. Now, each of these player types have common tendencies that you can exploit. It's critical that you tag players uh, depending on how you can tag them, right? If you're playing live, make a note in Evernote on a little piece of paper and a notepad in your pocket, whatever. Uh, If you're online, you can have a piece of paper in front of you on your desk. If you use a HUD, you can color code their player HUD box or their player box within the software. There's so many different things that you can do just to give you a quick glimpse into the player type that you think they are. And I often use green for the loose passive fish, red for nits, yellow for tight aggressive players, and orange for the loose aggressive ones. And speaking of loose aggressive, let's get to them. Now these players love to get in there and they mix it up with raises, calls, and plenty of bets of course, both pre-flop and post-flop. They bluff a lot, and because they bluff a lot, they think you bluff a lot. So, of course, they're capable of calling with bluff-catching hands. Remember this because it can take a lot of chips and maybe a couple different streets of bets to get them to fold their marginal hands and their draws. So, just be aware of that. Take a look at their chip stack right before you start bluffing because they might not have enough chips for you to pull a double-barrel bluff. They might be all in on the flop. These players, because they're so loose-aggressive, they also build big chip stacks, and of course they love putting pressure on others. They love to be the table bully when they have the chips to bully others with. Now, you can take an advantage of this because it can lead to them spewing chips with bad bluffs, or potentially making bad calls because they just don't believe that you have the goods. They think you're bluffing every time. So play against them in position as much as possible, and stick around when you can beat a lot of their bluffs. Next are the tight aggressive players, and I color code them yellow. And they're exactly what their name implies, right? Tight means they don't play a lot of hands pre-flop, which means they get to the flop with decently strong ranges. And also, they're aggressive. Most of the time when they enter the pot pre-flop, it's for a raise, either a 2-bet or a 3-bet, not often limping and not often calling either. And when we think about their pre-flop decisions, they raise because they want you to fold, or, if you call, they want the option of c-betting. And when these uh, tight aggressive players are yet to act, they're pretty quick to fold their blinds, especially versus bigger bets. If you just open raise to 2 or 2.2 big blinds, they can call just like everyone else. But if you make it 2.5, 2.75, 3 big blinds to go, they're often going to fold because they think you mean business with those larger bets. And... Tight aggressive players are positionally aware. They don't really like defending the blinds because they know that once they do, flop, turn, and river, they're going to be out of position against you. And they just don't like giving you that positional advantage. So post-flop, if you're in position against a tight aggressive player and they check to you, look to bluff more often than not. The third player type are those loose passive fish, and I color code them green. Now, 
they're fish because they just play way too many hands. They play them passively. They limp. They call three bets. They call two bets. They cold call four bets sometimes, depending on their holding, right? Um, and they don't often bet or raise pre-flop or post-flop. They love to see flops and chase draws. They play suited hands, connected hands, suited gappers, ace, X hands, and loads of broadways as well. Now, pre-flop, you should value raise against their blinds and expect a call quite often, and also value iso raise when they limp into pots. It is possible to bluff the fish post-flop, but you need to know that they do not fold easily with any draws or even second pair, maybe even sometimes third pair, because they think you're probably bluffing. So keep bluffing to a minimum. Now, that doesn't mean you cannot bluff at all. But instead, you should be geared more towards going for value against the fish in the hand. So when you hit that lovely top pair top kicker on a wet board, value bet big, like two-thirds or three-quarter pot, so that you overcharge them for their draws and their weaker pairs. You know they're going to call with the flush draw. So if you bet a tiny quarter pot, they're basically getting the right odds to call you. Do not do that. Bet bigger for value. They are going to call, but they're giving you that theoretical value. And when the board is wet and they're calling and all of a sudden the draw completes, like they had a flush draw, then the third heart comes on the turn and they come out firing for three-quarter pot, there's a good chance they just hit their hand. So be ready to ditch at a moment's notice when those normally passive players wake up with some post-flop aggression. Now the last player type are the super tight knits and I give them that red color coating. These guys are overly concerned with their tournament life, and because of this, they don't play a lot of hands, but that also means they don't accumulate big chip stacks because they're just folding all the time. They're not getting lucky and hitting a lot of flops or turns. They're extremely easy to push off of hands post-flop when they don't hit a pair or they don't hit a nut draw like an open ender or the nut flush draw. So you should be stealing from these players as much as possible because they have that general tendency to fold a lot. But because they fold a lot, when they decide to call you post-flop, or if they put in that raise post-flop, especially from out of position, you have to think twice before you continue in the hand, because it's a very good chance, or it's very likely, that they hit something lovely on that flop, and they're just not going to give up. Wow, so that was a long tip number one. This will be a little bit shorter. Tip number two is watch every showdown hand. Now, you can learn a lot about a player by their actions, both pre-flop and post-flop. You know, things like raising, betting, limping, check raising, and of course, the bet sizes that they use. So you're paying attention to this stuff, but oftentimes, you don't truly know what their holding was because you don't get to showdown. That's why it's so important to watch and learn from every hand. And when you hit showdown, you have to rewind the action of the hand to figure out exactly what your opponent's value in the plays that they make, the logic that they use. And all of these things are a good indication of the type of player that they are. Maybe you see a player get to showdown and they three bet preflop with ace nine offsuit. Holy cow, that's a really good indication they're a lag player, right? Maybe they also showed a rivered straight after calling large bets on the flop and turn with just a gut shot draw. Now we know, yeah, they're loose aggressive, capable of three betting with ace nine offsuit, but they also do not like to fold draws post flop. 
And so because you paid attention to showdown and the action throughout the hand, you were able to rewind it and see exactly the logic that your opponents use in their decisions. And of course, once you know their logic, you can start exploiting it. And tip number three is that they must be able to find a fold. So a huge part of staying alive in tournaments and building a chip stack and and making it to the final table and ultimately winning is you are going to be bluffing a lot. Whether you're bluff stealing pre-flop, 3-bet re-stealing from the big blind, maybe you're making a C-bet bluff, you're donk betting on the turn as a bluff, you're check raising on that scary third turn card, whatever it is, you must have a reasonable assumption that your opponent can find a fold. So here are four tips within this one tip to help you spot whether or not your opponents can find a fold. Tip number one is that your bet size needs to hit their pain threshold. It needs to be painful for them to decide to call or to re-raise your bet. Of course, it's easy for the big blind player to call a raise if it's just two big blinds, right? You're going to need to make it bigger to steal those pre-flop pots. And post-flop? Hardly anybody folds to the one-quarter or the one-third pot bets on the flop. You've got to go bigger, like half pot or more. Now, tip number two is to have position. You should be prone to bluff more often when you have position against them. Most players, even recreational players, they realize the power of position, and this could be the determining factor for them folding their hand. Players hate calling flops because, or they hate calling flops out of position because they know on the turn and the river, they're going to be out of position again and potentially face another bet from you. So use your position to get more folds. The third tip within this one is player type. Of course, the most foldy players are tight aggressives and nits, so you want to bluff them frequently. Lags and fish, they don't really like folding, so keep that in mind before you pull your bluff. And the fourth, and this maybe is most critical, it's range and board interaction. So your bluffs are more likely to work when their range doesn't interact well with the board. And this is where hand reading comes into play, and it's why I consider hand reading just the number one skill in poker. The hand reading skills that you develop by doing it off the felt, um, whether for cash games, tournaments, sit and goes, whatever, it's useful in every hand you play once you see the flop, right? Players come and go from your table at tournaments all the time, so it's kind of it can be tough to develop a read on them, but you can always put a player on a pre-flop range of hands based on their actions and then gauge how well that range interacts with the board. When their range doesn't inter- interact well with the board, they're going to be more likely to fold. So if they have lots of ace-x hands and broadways in their range, they're not going to like the 5-5-8 five, five, or the 9-6-4 flop, right? Go ahead and use this to your advantage. And once again, don't forget, I am having my very first tournament on America's Card Room. Go to smartpokerstudy.com slash SPS tournament for more details and to figure out when that registration period is going to be so that you can join me. All right, tip number four. And this is one I learned from Tommy Angelo. It's look to your left. You've got to look to the left to see trouble before you make your preflop decision. So, you know, as a tournament progresses, stacks get smaller as those blinds and antis start going up. Players often become desperate to stay alive, and one way to stay alive is to make those three-bet re-steals. And a lot of other players, well, they just like to use position against you, so they're going to call you from the cutoff and the button as well. Looking left 
gives you more information to act upon. You can see those three bets coming. You can see those calls before you actually decide to enter the pot. So what are some of the things you're looking for when you look to the left? First is player types. Second is stack sizes. You also want to see who is in the blinds and just generally how many players are yet to act. If you're under the gun plus one, you still have seven players yet to act. There's a lot of opportunities for them to do a lot of calling. Somebody calls, somebody can three bet squeeze. Everyone can fold. The big blind can three bet against you. So much can happen. Looking to the left helps you plan for that stuff. And sometimes when you look to the left, you're going to see a new player sitting there. And you're going to, whoa, where'd that guy come from, right? It's great to notice that. Maybe in seat seven, there was a fish sitting there and you had all these plans to exploit them and stuff. But during a hand, you got involved in it. You didn't realize what was going on. He picked up and moved to a different table. And then two hands later, a new player came in. Awesome. Now that you see there's a new player and it's a loose aggressive as opposed to a fish, that's really good information that you're going to be able to use in your preflop decisions. Here's another thing. When you look to the left, if you can expect everyone to fold, the cutoff, the button, the small blind, the big blind, great, make the steal. But if you're considering a steal, but there's a loose aggressive or maybe two loose aggressive players with short stacks, then maybe don't steal so you don't have to fold versus their three bet. And like I said earlier, you want to look to the left to see who could potentially call you. Maybe you spot that that button player, super fish, He's always calling. If he's always calling, you've got to expect to see the flop. So steal with a hand, or maybe not steal, but just open raise with a hand that you expect to see a flop with. That means maybe skip the jack six suited, the seven four offsuit, stuff like that, because you're expecting to see a flop with one player who's going to be in position against you. Now, if you expect to see the flop versus this button player, what do you know about them? How will they potentially exploit you post-flop because they have position? What can you do against them out of position post-flop? So you want to start planning for the future. And that's going to help you see plays and see spots and see opportunities before they happen. And it's going to help you earn chips and make deeper runs in tournaments. Now, here's an interesting example. You're sitting at the table. You have a 30 big blind stack. You look left and you see a loose aggressive three better who has a big stack in the cutoff. He's got 90 big blinds. This player uses his stack to push others around, especially those mid stack players like you. Now you look down at your hand, you're dealt ace seven offsuit. You look left, you see a three better and you come up with a plan. You have a plan of open raising and then four bet shoving versus this loose aggressive players three bet. Of course, ace-seven offsuit's not a great hand, but it is an ace blocker. So the three-better, if he does three-bet you, he has less pocket aces, ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack in his range. Hands that would probably call or potentially come back over the top. Or, actually, because you're going all-in, calling your four-bet shove. So you open race to 2.5 big blinds, and he makes the expected three-bet to eight big blinds. Of course, it folds around to you, and you follow through with your plan, and you four-bet shove and he folds. So what just happened here? Because you looked to the left and saw a great opportunity to earn some easy chips, you just went from a 30 big blind stack to a 40 big blind stack. That's a 33% increase. You earned his eight big blind three bet and the 2.4 big blinds from the blinds and antes. One simple play, you're 33% bigger, baby. All right, the final tip, number five, be aware of the bubble. 
Now, this lesson really hits home for me because in the first Colossus event that I played at the WSOP a few years ago, I totally botched my chance to make the money and I got busted right on the bubble. Here's what happened. It's it's a painful experience. I don't want to relive it, but I, I'll help you uh, utilize this tip five by relaying my terrible experience. So Colossus on the bubble. I had 18 big blinds and I wasn't aware that we were on the bubble. I just wasn't really paying attention. I was thinking about the opponents at the table, but I wasn't concerned about the overall tournament dynamics, all the other players at all the other tables. Now, I realized all this after the fact, after I got knocked out. We had to lose about 20 more players with 500 or so players still playing. As you know, of course, 500 players playing. We're probably just a few hands away from the money if only 20 players needed to bust. That's less than 10% of players needing to bust or less than 5%. So I was in the small blind and I was dealt ace king and I only had that 18 big blind stack. Now, the big stacked player on the button opened three big blinds. I wasn't thinking about whether he could find a fold or not. I wasn't thinking about his player type. I wasn't thinking about his chip stack. And of course, I wasn't aware of the bubble. I just knew that I had ace-king and a good reshoving stack. So I shoved. He called with pocket sevens and he held and I was busted out of the tournament. So here's the thing. It was obvious, or it is obvious, looking back on it now, I wasn't thinking about tip number one, which was classifying each player by player type, because this player had a big stack and wasn't likely to fold. My 18 big blinds wasn't a huge dent to his stack in case he lost. I wasn't thinking about tip number three, which is that they must be able to find a fold before you bluff. And if I had been thinking about those two things, and tip number five right here, I wasn't aware of the bubble, right? So three things I screwed up on. Um, I might have made a different play if I had been thinking about those three things. I would have stayed alive. I would have made the money. Who knows how deep I would have gone. But at a minimum, I mean, it was a $365 buy-in. I would have made 350 bucks, right? Min cashing right there, at least. Who knows? And I could have gone on to make the final table. I botched it all with this one uh, bad play. Now, an important part of the bubble is knowing which players are in fear of their tournament life. Uh, it's often the short and the medium stacks, of course. Sometimes those big stacks, they don't want to lose any chips, so they're going to tighten up and not open raise unless they have a really good hand. You want to take advantage of the players who are scared for their tournament life or who don't want to lose chips, and you must work to steal their blinds and antes as much as possible. Make sure you open raise to their pain threshold and make it look like you've got a value hand, right? If 2.2 big blinds is often smelling like a bluff at the within the tournament that you're playing, make it 2.5, 2.83 big blinds. Also, look out for bigger stacked players who might want to bully you as well. The bubble's a really good opportunity for an 80 big blind stack to pick up another 10 or 20 big blinds pretty quickly just after stealing a few different hands. Challenge! Here's my challenge to you for this episode. Enter my first tournament! Join me! It's on October 21st at 8pm EST, America's Card Room, and all you gotta do to get some more tournament details and to sign up for notifications about when the tournament's gonna pop off and the registration actually opens, go to smartpokerstudy.com slash tournament. And I hope to see you on the felt! Now it's your turn to take action and join my very first tournament. Oh, that's it now. Get out there and be somebody. Go write a book.
Alrighty, your learning is not complete until you visit smartpokerstudy.com slash tournament tips. Please send your friends there who also need to work on their tournament game if they could use some of the help that you received in this podcast episode. And of course, I want to see you at my very first tournament. October 21st, 2020, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, America's Cars Room. For more information, smartpokerstudy.com slash SPS tournament. And this episode was five tournament tips. My next episode next week is going to be six sit-and-go tips. Until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be.